0: Welcome to Commons and Chronicles, the podcast where we talk about all the best creative Commons and reusable open game license content. If you need resources for your creative writing, game design, or you just love lore, Commons and Chronicles is for you. Norse mythology, part two. This is more Norse mythology mythology put into the D anD. Alignment system. I didn't do this work. This is work from the Player's Handbook, 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. So on page 299 in Appendix B, a bunch of different pantheons, both original to the D&D multiverse, and also within our own real world. Celtic deities, Greek deities, Egyptian deities, which I've covered before, and Norse deities, which I'm covering right now. In the previous episode, we talked about Odin, the god of knowledge and war, Iger and Ran, the god and goddess of the sea and storms and their nine daughters, who um, who are the waves, Balder, the god of beauty and poetry, Forseti, god of justice and law, and then Frey, the god of, or Freyr, uh, the god of fertility and the sun, and then Freya, the goddess of fertility and love, and also of of magic, actually, but... There's not really a mention of that here, so I guess, they, I guess they're not concentrating on, on that so much in the D&D universe. In this, this episode, we're gonna start with Frigga. Frigga we kind of already talked about, because Frigga and Freya actually get confused um, in later tales of, of the goddesses, in, in, in later epic poems. They get a little bit mixed together. And, of course, there is precedence for that sort of thing. I mean, certainly, close to home, Christianity has merged, or has brought in a lot of different religions from around the world, historically, not, not recently, but, but relatively recently, I guess. Uh, you know, just ta- taking over the Greek pantheon, really, and adopting their holidays, and just reskinning them with uh, Christian uh, importance. And And we also saw it in the Egyptian religion, where Ra and Horus were combined to make Ra Harakti as, as he's listed in the, in the Player's Handbook. So Frigga is, or was, early on, her own, her own sort of entity, and she is the, in the D&D version of the Pantheon, she is the goddess of birth and fertility, she is a neutral god of life and light, and her symbol is a cat. It's pretty difficult I guess for scholars to even differentiate between Freya and Frigg or Frigga. So it's difficult for me certainly someone who's by no means a scholar of Norse mythology to understand the difference either other than the fact that at s- at different times she was she was portrayed as her own person and then at other times as actually being Freya. So pretty difficult to come up with any content for someone who's basically possibly the same person as Freya, uh, and it, it kind of surprises me that the D and D pantheon, or the version of, the, of this pantheon, uses both Frigg and Freya because there's really no difference between them, and there's a, not a whole lot of difference even in their own table, uh, where they list Freya as neutral good and Frigg, f- Friga, as neutr- just neutral, uh, but their domain they both share the same life domain with Frigg uh, bringing in the light domain as well, just like uh, Freyr. So not really clear on the difference, really, between those two. I will say that... well, again, the rest of the world isn't 100% sure either. But I will say that different stories abound, and we've already covered one that was about Baldr, the second son of Odin, and Frigga, and how when Baldur started having dreams of his death, Frigga took the initiative to move against that, and went around to the entire, uh, to everything on the in the world, and made it such that they could not kill. They, she cast a spell on things that they could not kill Balder, uh, except M- mistletoe. She forgot. She she decided that that wasn't really le- lethal. Probably couldn't hurt him anyway. So who cares? Um, but so she's obviously protective. And she, you know, motherly, that sort of that sort of love, which is good. That's a good thing to have. But because she's also the same as Freya in in most surviving stories, she's also very um, she's very sexual as well. And there have been there there are many stories of how she has slept with lots and lots of gods and and slaves and elves and just everybody really, everyone she could get her hands on. And I think that's really Kind of cool, to be honest. Um, there, it's There's something kind of nice to hear about uh, a female character who sleeps with lots of people and isn't utterly destroyed for it. Uh, in fact, at one point, Odin, her husband, was exiled from Asgard in, in some, I think, a latter-day story. And Vili and Ve, uh, Odin's brothers, are left in charge of the realm. And they both apparently sleep in his bed with uh frigg on i i don't know if they sort of did the whole three to a bed sort of situation or if they were just changing nights or whatever but um yeah so th- like you know they 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 ruled the realm and and got a free wife uh while they were on the job so it is um it's a very kind of I guess sex positive story of of Frigg and Freya because there's not really any there's never really a lot of judgment imposed upon them. I mean, they are goddesses. They should be able to do whatever they want without any kind of moral repercussion unless they're breaking some law that they had, but apparently they did not have any kind of law like that and were able to do what they want. Heimdall is the god of watchfulness and loyalty. He is a lawful good. His domains are light and war. His symbol is a curling musical horn. Heimdall is, well, as his domain, as his specialty suggests, he is watchful. He is specifically the god who sits at the top of Bifrost, the rainbow bridge that leads to Asgard, and guards the region. His eyesight is so keen that he can see for hundreds of miles by day or by night, And his hearing is so acute that he can hear grass growing on the ground, and wool growing on sheep. So he watches and he listens. What is he watching and listening for? Well, he's watching and listening for Ragnarok. When Ragnarok is going to happen, he will alert the gods by blowing on his horn, which is called Gjallhorn, that's the resounding horn, to alert the gods that the giants are invading, and coming to end all of reality. Now when this happens, it is said that Loki will be with the giants, because Loki is not very loyal to anyone. But worse still, he and Heimdall are destined to slay one another during Ragnarok. That's mostly all we know about Heimdall. There's a lot of other speculation about him, taken from one line here in a poem or one line there, but apparently it's all pretty pretty vague but some of the some of the theories are that Heimdall is like so many other deities a son of Odin that he is born of nine mothers and if you if you think oh nine mothers well let's see there are nine daughters of Aegir and uh, Ran other people have thought of that as well but the names don't match up so that's probably not correct but it could be correct who knows there are also nine worlds, so there's that, but w- we really don't know w- what the intent was there, what his history is. There's also an interesting passage in in some poem out there somewhere where it says that his, his ear is hidden uh, beneath the world tree, Yggdrasil. And that sometimes gets uh, related to the fact that Odin sacrificed his eye... And it's it's theorized that maybe Heimdall sacrificed one ear for some kind of great reward, like maybe his super, super keen sense of hearing, or, or some such uh, advantage as that. Now, that's a theory, because the word for ear in, like, ancient Nordic, or whatever it would have been, is apparently not super clear as to whether it meant, like, the literal ear, like the ear lobe, or if it just meant your sense of hearing, or, or something, you know, related to, to sound. So it's not super clear as to whether Heimdall actually sacrificed anything at all, or whether it was just saying, like, that he could hear from the very bottom of Yggdrasil all over, or something like that, who knows. So those are theories, none of them really, really confirmed. And that's Heimdall, the Watcher. Hel is the goddess of the Underworld. She is considered neutral evil, her domain is death and her symbol is a woman's face rotting on one side and that's pretty much the description of hell as far as i can as far as i can find in any anything that bothers describing her seems to have that sort of description for her she's she sort of she she kind of reminds me of maybe an undead or or a hag even so hell means hidden that's the literal meaning of of that old norse word and she is a giantess who rules the underworld that is named the same as her. So she, she is hell, and she rules the underworld, the, the world of the dead, which is also called hell. And there's not really a whole lot about her, either. Um, she, in fact, some people are kind of they, they theorize, I guess, that, or maybe it's not even a theory, that hell is more just kind of a personification of, of the world of the dead rather than an actual goddess that people would have would have actually worshiped in earnest. That said, there is a story that survives about her, but I've already kind of mentioned it already. It's the death of Baldr, and in this story, in the death of Baldr, she is she's the keeper of Baldr's dead body when when the other gods decide to ask for his body back f- for him to be restored to life and of course she she won't she won't do that unless everyone on the world like everyone in the world will will express that they love balder if everyone expresses that they love balder then she'll give him back but if there's even just one person who doesn't love balder then she won't give him back and of course loki disguised himself as a grumpy old giantess and said nope i don't love balder and so he spoiled everyone else's fun and he was also the one who killed Baldr, really, in the first place, if you think about it. So anyway, um, Hel also is speculated sometimes, apparently by, by Snorri Sturluson, that she is the daughter of Loki and uh, the giantess Angrabalda. And th- this is, again, contested because it would make her the sister of the wolf finrir who is going to kill odin at ragnarok and the world serpent jormungand who is a little bit of a, 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 a nemesis um what's it what's it called i guess a nemesis um of thor thor doesn't doesn't get along so well with Jor, Jor, jormungand all the time so this would this would this would make for a a, a highly a highly uh Disreputable family, to say the least, and so it does tend to be contested that they all happen to be in the same family historically. And as I say, a lot of people seem to say that that it's more as if though she's just kind of she that she that that the character Hell grew out of the world of Hell just because the world needed a face; it needed a, a personification. Next up, we have Hermod. Hermod is the god of trickery. or I'm sorry, he's the god of luck. His domain is trickery. His alignment is chaotic neutral. And his symbol is a winged scroll. Now, you might think that Loki would be the correct god of trickery in any respectable pantheon, and you might wonder who Hermod is. Hermod, you've actually technically already heard about in the previous episode. You probably don't necessarily remember because it was... It was just mentioned very briefly but Hermod is surprise a son of Odin and he is the god who volunteered to mount Slipnir, which is Odin's horse and ride down the uh, world tree down to hell and ask hell for the hell the, the goddess of hell uh for the for for Balder back after Baldr had had died of course Hermod ended up not being able to get Baldr's body back because the the test of whether everyone on the planet loved Baldr ultimately failed. Hermod gets a couple of other mentions here and there in a couple of different poems, but those poems seem rather unclear as to whether Hermod is a human, a great human warrior, or or the god. And either way, Hermod is... The, the name, Hermod, translates roughly to warrior, or fury of war, or excitement, wrath, and passion. It's a, it's a very emotional name. I frankly have no idea why he's listed as the god of trickery, or the, rather the god of luck, in the D&D pantheon. There is nothing in anything I've been able to find about luck and Hermod, and as I say, there, he, he apparently is not mentioned often at all. So I think this might have been their freebie, they just needed a name for the chaotic, neutral god of luck, and threw him in there. I don't know why his symbol would be a winged scroll. I'm a little bit confused on this one, to be honest. Less confusing is the god of trickery, which is Loki. He is the god of thieves and trickery, he is chaotic evil, his domain is trickery, and his symbol is flame. Loki features heavily in a lot of the stories that I've come across, both in Neil Gaiman's book, Norse mythology, and just in general. He seems to be as popular as, as his reputation, really, which is a funny thing to say, but, but I, I feel like a lot of people have at least heard of Loki, I mean, before the movies made him super popular and by the movies i mean the marvel movies the the ones about thor and loki and i feel like he's got that kind of that kind of fame where you you've heard of him whether or not you you even realize you've heard of him he's just he is he is very very popular but it it's not just it's he's not a minor figure who became popular he he was very popular in in the poems and the stories he was popular and he, he kind of fills an important role in those, and that is to cause a lot of trouble. And I think I think chaotic evil, you might you might not think of him as being chaotic evil when you read the stories, because you might just... I mean, his, he is a trickster god, right? That's famously what he is referred to as. So trickster doesn't sound evil. But if you really think about some of the stuff that he's done... Chaotic evil fits him like a glove. Snorri Sturluson wrote in the Prose Edda that Loki is handsome and fair of face but has an evil disp- disposition and is very changeable of mood. He excelled all men in the art of cunning and he always cheats. He was continually involving the Aesir in great difficulties and he often helped them out again by guile. And that's that that follows that follows suit in all of the different stories. I mean, there are stories about how he seemingly, just on a whim, comes up with an idea to, to uh, you know, cause problems for Thor or for Odin. and And then he will be threatened by Odin to solve the problem or else to be killed and so he then goes to great lengths to solve the problem or he he'll get himself into trouble and then he'll make some kind of wild promise to the person who or the the thing that is that is causing him problems and and then he'll he'll go and turn against the gods in order to make this wild promise work out for himself in that story that i mentioned in passing in the previous episode about eden and her her uh, fruit, or the the apples, or whatever fruit it is, of immortality. It's because of Loki that all of that even comes up. Loki promises... Loki is snatched up by an, an eagle, I think, that he was taunting, or or something. Or I think the eagle was technically taunting him first, but still. He grabs onto the eagle, the eagle... it's a giant eagle. The, the The eagle flies him around and starts bashing him against cliffs and dragging him on the ground, and so Loki is begging for life, and the eagle says, "If if if I say if I if I let you go, um, and stop bashing you on the side of mountains, I would I, I want um, Eden and and her fruit of immortality." And so Loki says yes, and then he has to come up with a scheme to get Eden and the fruit of immortality to a location where she can be kidnapped by the giant eagle. And then, once the gods start growing very old, and they realize that Eden was last seen with Loki, uh, he has to come up with a plan to get Eden back, so that the gods don't kill him, or torture him, or whatever they threaten to do. So, yeah, it's, it's very much that's what Loki does. So, he's not the sort, really, who... He is very chaotic evil, you know? He's not a lawful evil god. And he's a great example of chaotic evil, actually, because he's not someone who sits around thinking, how can I be evil today? How can I bring everyone in line with my evilness? He's he's very much the type of, of god who sits around and sort of decides that things are boring, or things have gotten stale, and so he wants to shake them up with a little bit of evil. Loki is very difficult to understand on a lot of different levels, beginning at his very... Well, existence. So he is the son of Farbauti, who is a giant. His mother, on the other hand, is Laufi, or if if you look deep enough, she may also be Nal. So one of those two, or both of them, may be the same thing. Not really sure if she's a goddess or a giantess, or something else entirely, it's very difficult to say. So from the very start, we're not really sure why Loki is a god, and we're not 100% sure whether Loki is related to Odin or Thor in any way, and yet you do hear him being referred to as a son by Odin, so that's also pretty confusing. He's also the father, of course, of, well, any number of, of creatures. So he's the possibly the father of Jormungand, the great serpent who's going to slay Thor during Ragnarok. Um, also Fenrir, the wolf that bites off one of the hands of uh, a god named Tyr, and who's going to kill Odin during Ragnarok. And maybe Hel, the goddess of, of hell. And then he also has... A, and that's with his wife, Angraboda. He, he has another wife, Sigyn. And with Sigyn, he has a son named Nari or Narfi. And then finally, and this part's a little bit confusing, maybe, but... But he is also the mother of Slepnir, who is Odin's horse. How did that happen? Well, it's, it's, it's in a poem, and it's retold pretty well, I think, in the Neil Gaiman book, that Loki turned, transformed into a mare at one point. And uh, I think it was to, uh, to, to get rid of a stallion or something like that. Um, ended up not getting rid of the stallion, ended up becoming uh, impregnated by the stallion with Sleipnir, Odin's horse, which became Odin's horse. So that's that's Loki's very very extended family. You just can't imagine all the things that Loki gets up to. So if you want a lot of good Loki stories, do pick up the Neil Gaiman book. He's all over that book. But as I say, I think that's largely because he's all over the stories. He's he's th- he he appears through so many of the d- different uh, stories in Norse mythology, both the book and the historical records, that he's just kind of he's he's that ever present. But that's what he is. He's that source of you need an inciting incident, and there's Loki ready to do something stupid or something evil or or something crazy to get the story going. It doesn't seem from the historical records apparently that there was actually ever. A cult of Loki or a religion of loki he was he was I think for, or, or people think who know about this stuff they say that loki was was sort of a buffoon god. He was the the god who who you would never worship, but you could always blame for one thing or another. I think in the d and d world there would be definitely a cult of Loki. I think he would be a a very sly god that you would not be able to to um, deal with lightly. And, and that is reflected in some of the stories. I, I don't mean to make him out to be a complete buffoon by any means, or a fool, but that is one of the roles that he plays. Okay, so next up is Njord, the god of the sea and the wind. He is neutral good, his domains are nature and the tempest, and his symbol is a gold coin. You might think that we already had a god of the sea and wind, and we kind of did. That's Agir and Ran and their nine daughters. So Njord is someone else entirely. Agir was listed as neutral evil, although, as I mentioned in the previous episode, I think that's probably more Ran than Agir. And then Njord is neutral good. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a difference. I again, I think, if I may differ uh, with with this interpretation, I would have probably listed Ran as the as the the neutral evil god of sea and storms and then listed Aegir himself as the god of sea and wind for neutral good. And I think I would have probably merged Njord and Aegir personally because Njord he is really important apparently to to ancient Nordic religion. He was a a, a significant god. And that's not surprising. I mean, we associate I think typically Nordic uh, culture with the sea because of the whole Viking thing, and and I mean certainly it must have been important anyway. So a god of the sea must have been an important god, and Njord was the benevolent god of the sea, whereas Aigir is. I mean certainly he seems to be benevolent from what I've read. His wife a little bit less so, and his daughters maybe a little bit on the maybe a little bit bit of. Both right, so Njord just comes across as benevolent. He he is a god. First of all, he's a Vanir, not an Asir, so he's one of the more of the you know. I think of the Vanir as druidic essentially. I don't know if that's accurate or you know if that makes sense, but in the D and D world, I think we could safely make that association. The Vanir are kind of the druids in spirit, and and so he's he's yeah the keeper of the sea he is a god of wealth and fertility and the ocean he was important to the seafaring people of the time he was widely worshipped evidence suggests people would would say that you know would hope that you would become as rich as njord he was a very uh, he, he you know he was he was security he was he was wealth he was also the father of freyr and freya and he was one of the vanir who was Sent over to live with the Asir at the end of the war. He has one big story out there about um, Njord and Skadi. Skadi is a giant who comes to Asir seeking restitution because her someone killed her father. I don't remember who. I kind of want to say Loki, but it could have been anybody. So she goes to Asir very angry, saying that um, she she demands restitution for this for the, the death of her father. I, I really might, I think it might be Loki. I should look it up in the Neil Gaiman book. I'm not going to right now, because it's not that important to the story. So she says, I need uh pay, you know, recompense for the death of my father. So the gods say, okay, well, you can choose any god among us to be your husband, but you can only choose them by looking at their ankles and feet. So they, they put the gods behind a curtain, and she looks at their feet, and their their ankles and feet, and and has to choose a husband just from from their feet. So, she's looking out for Baldur, because as you know from the previous episode, Baldur is the best-looking god of any of the gods. He's a beautiful creature to behold. So that's what she's looking for. And she picks out a pair of feet that she's pretty sure are Baldur's feet. Turns out, it's Njord's feet. Njord apparently has really good-looking feet. So, she, um... She takes Njord as her as her husband, and they have a terrible time together. They do not get along at all. Who would have known? Half of the time they spent in Skadi's home, and she's a giant from Jotunheim, so it's a snowy mountain. Njord can't stand it, and the rest of the year they spend in Njord's home, which uh, are the you know it's a sea. He's he's the god of the sea, so it's by the beach, by the the wharfs. At the, down by the docks, so Scotty can't tolerate that. And so eventually they, they part ways. Sad story, who would have ever guessed that choosing your husband by looking at feet would ever lead to anything but a life of happiness. Next up is Alder. Alder is the god of light and sun. He is chaotic good, his domain is light, and his symbol is a solar disk. Now, unfortunately, Odur is a little bit of a mystery as well, like Freya and Frigg. In fact, quite like them, and you'll see why. Odin, the name Odin, is actually a form of Odur. So, um, Odur is O-D-R. We spell it O-D-U-R generally in English, so that we know how to pronounce it. And it's not that I actually know how to pronounce it, but that helps. And Odin is just Odur. With the uh, masculine uh, suffix appended to the end, i n n. So it's it's roughly Odin. So there's some confusion as to whether Odr is actually Odin. And likewise, there's some confusion as to whether Freya, who is often called Odr's wife, is actually Frigg, who is often called Odin's wife. So in other words, Odr and Odin and Frigg and Freya may, after a fashion, not even be different, they may actually be the same set of people or the the same couple. Ignoring that though, there's evidence in in both cases that they're not the same or that at one point they weren't the same, and then they got confused or merged together over time and as such the 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 mythos of one has to sort of take a a backseat to the other and in this case, Odin prevails, Odin, the all father rises to the top. He, he All the stories that we have about Odin are very much Odin's. And then the confusing ones about Alder, the, the few that we have, uh, just kind of, they're, they're sort of assumptions that we think this is a story about a different person other than Odin. And I guess the the thing that jumps out at me about Alder, especially in light of the D&D, the, the, the way that the player's handbook assigns him to to an alignment of chaotic good, I feel like the and the he's the god of light and the sun, so I feel like the thing that jumps out to me in 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 light of that is that the 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 term Odr in Old Norse apparently means ecstasy, inspiration, fury frenzy, and again because odin eventually became a god of war as well as his his former uh, of wisdom and knowledge. Over time, this actually again is kind of confusing because Alder now kind of sounds like he could have been the god of war. Either way, as D and D is interpreting it, Alder is the god of light and the sun because, and his name likewise is ecstasy and fury and frenzy. Again, a kind of a passionate sort of of name that you could kind of see as being representative of daylight, of of brightness, of of being washed in in pure light, that sort of thing. So it, it kind of makes sense. There is a story about Odr being the husband of Freya, and they have a daughter named Hnoss. That's H-N-O-S-S. Don't know how to say it, so I'm gonna just say Hnoss. About the only story we have of Odr, I think, is that he leaves one day, uh, we're not really sure where he's going, or whether he intends to come back, or why he's going away. But Freya searches for him in vain and wept tears of gold in his absence. It's also assumed that Odur is a Vanir, and Odin is a Asir. That's the assumption. And anyway, if it's wrong, it's still it's it's tidier that way. That way they they are truly separate now. Odin was Asir, Odur was Vanir, and that's that. Next up is Sif, the Goddess of War. S-I-F. Goddess of War. She's also Chaotic Good, and her domain is War, and her symbol is an upraised sword. This is an interesting one, because you don't really usually get a whole a whole lot of Goddesses of War who are Chaotic Good, and it's kind of interesting to choose her as a Chaotic Good God, because it does fit. It fits the description. She is the... Sif is the um, the wife of Thor. And she's known for having beautiful golden hair, which Loki one day cuts. Cuts all of it. Like, leaving her basically bald. She's not too happy about it. Thor is furious and threatens to kill Loki, as most gods do at one point in their lives. And Loki has to go and, and find a replacement for for Sif's hair. And that leads to a whole other a whole other story, which eventually ends up, I think, in the creation of Thor's famous hammer, if I'm recalling correctly. I could be wrong about that, but I, I believe that's correct. And again, if you want to find out for yourself, go read the Neil Gaiman book. It's actually quite good and has lots of information, um, lots of tri- trivia trivia information like this. So anyway, it has nothing to do with war is is what i was going to get to she she's not a goddess of war um canonically she's just the the wife of thor and that's almost all we know to the to, in this day and age about her but apparently thor and sif both at one point were were regarded as pretty important gods to worship uh for for, for farmers who wanted good crops and things like that like abundant abundant harvest that sort of thing and part of that is is wrapped up in kind of the idea of of the divine and the mundane becoming united in some way so for instance a sky god and an earth goddess and so for for Thor the sky a, a, a god of the sky uh, that's kind of his domain and then and then Sif, a, a goddess who, who may or may not, you know, who, whose hair may represent flowing grain and that sort of thing, for them to 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 come together in a in a union in a marriage, is a very significant thing. So that would have made their religion quite important in in a lot of sort of different emotional ways, like people really wanting the sky and the ground and the earth from which they feed to get along really well, you know rain just the right amount, not rain just the right amount and so on, have lots of sun, not too much sun, that sort of thing. So it's an important thing in ancient religion, I, I guess apparently that's what I'm told, that's what I've read and and their union is representative of that, making them an important couple, making their their religion uh, significant, really significant back way, way back in those old days. As I said, none of this relates in any way, really, to war, and so it's kind of confusing that Wizards of the Coast would assign her to that role, the Goddess of War. And yet, at the same time, I kinda like it, because I feel like, being the wife of Thor, and Thor having a great hammer and lots of strength, I could kinda see her being, uh, being, being able to hold her own. And if Thor is good, which he is, she's also good. And for her to just sort of be rallying for the little guys is kind of comforting and kind of cool. And you can really see a paladin making her the object of of worship. Because if if she represents abundance in any way, which apparently she did, then it kind of makes sense for it to be kind of a defensive war type of of goddess, someone who brings strength to your troops, that sort of thing. So it's, it's a stretch, and it doesn't really work, but if we need a name for a good goddess of war, Sif seems like a good one to use. Next up we have Skadi, who is the god of earth and mountains. Neutral god, domain is nature, and the symbol is a mountain peak. Now we've already talked about Skadi, and you may or may not remember that Skadi is neither a god or a male. Skadi is actually a female giantess who, whose father is killed, and who goes to uh, Asgard and demands that she be given a a husband. She is um she's a pretty famous giant for that reason. She's also she she famously lived in the highest reaches of mountains where the snow never melted she's a huntress she's got a bow snowshoes and skis these are things that she had she was known for she was like she was a winter goddess really she was she was a fierce winter huntress and a symbol of surviving the harsh winter so once again looking at this um this table and Saying that Skadi could be a god of earth and mountains makes a heck of a lot of sense. Because uh, this Skadi character certainly was a, a ruler of, of the mountains. A conqueror of, of nature, really. And that's, that's encouraging. If, if, you're, if you're out in the wilderness, you want to pray to someone to help you get by. Especially in a winter wasteland. Skadi would be someone you would want to pray to. Uh, it's just notable to say that Skadi is not a god, and Skadi is not a god. Meaning Skadi is is a giant, and a female. So really, this ought to read Skadi the goddess of earth and mountain. Neutral god, nature, mountain peak as her symbol. And and then I guess we're just elevating her to godhood, because we can. That works for me. That's probably all the time I should take up now. In the ep- in, in the next um, Norse episode, we will talk about the last uh, four or five gods within the D&D version of the Norse Pantheon. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me... Uh, via email at klaatu at member.fsf.org. You can also usually catch me in IRC as 2 I'm on the Freenode Network. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.